0: The Land of the Unsolved is sponsored by Spot Crime, the number one crime mapping site in the country. Make sure to visit spotcrime.com to track crime in your neighborhood because safety begins with knowing.
1: Anyone who watches crime dramas could reasonably conclude that when someone is murdered, barring bizarre and extenuating circumstances, the case is solved. That is through high-tech forensics, moral resolve, or simply the near mythic competence of American law enforcement killers are ultimately sent to jail. But as an investigative reporter who has worked in one of the most violent cities in the country for nearly 15 years, I can tell you this is not true.
0: And that is the point of this podcast. Because unsolved killings represent more than just statistics. It's a psychic toll of stories untold that infects an entire community. The final violent moments of a victim's life that remain shrouded in mystery.
1: I'm Steven Janis.
0: I'm Taya Graham.
1: And we are investigative reporters who live in Baltimore City.
0: Welcome to
2: the land of the unsolved. You know, people are like, why are you doing this? It's killing you. It's not going to bring her back. But then I just, I say, well, how, how could I not do it? She's shot in the back and
3: the killer or killers still on the loose.
2: Something that happens on TV, it doesn't happen to us or our friends.
3: I I internalized that last discussion we had. She puts the window down and there's a conversation and she's shut Things don't really work that way.
0: Thank you for joining us for The Land of the Unsolved, Episode 2, Who Killed Jodi LeCornu?
1: As we recounted in our last episode, Jodi was a young woman wrestling with addiction.
0: A woman full of promise who struggled with anxieties and fears she couldn't control.
2: It's almost like she was like drinking to probably like just her nerves, you know what I mean? But the, the thing is, the alcohol just makes her anxiety worse. So it's like this vicious cycle. It's like you can't get it. You can't get out of it.
1: And a person whose life was defined in many ways by a single relationship with her twin sister, Jennifer.
2: I know I was worried about her a lot, um, but never anything. I mean, this is just like the thing you see on TV, you know what I mean?
0: You just don't think, uh, never. And that's where we pick up the story. Because after years of battling with addiction, for the first time in both their lives, Jody and Jennifer were separated.
1: Jennifer tells the story of their mutual pain.
0: And we both
2: actually struggled in our early 20s. Started. I started with like severe panic attacks. So
0: it's interesting. We both had like the anxiety. But as Jennifer recovered, Jody struggled.
3: And then she fell in love.
0: A relationship that was also troubled.
3: Well, yeah, it's a, it's a really sad story, and without somebody without the history of alcohol in their family or substance abuse, it's going to sound really bad. But it's it's just the way it is.
1: And her boyfriend Steve agreed to speak with us, provided we didn't use his last name. He recalls
0: that Jody was a sweet young lady, beautiful, but also the life of the party.
3: As I remember it, um, she probably picked me up, and. Woke up the next morning and looked over and said, oh, Who are you? <laughs> and and uh, I had to go to work, and um, and I didn't want to know that I didn't know her name. So I said, you know, don't, don't you need to call somebody? And I'm just praying that the, that would be an answering machine, and she'd have to give her name. And she did. And said, this is Jody. I'm like, Jody? I'd have never guessed that.
1: And that they also shared the same addiction, alcohol.
0: And that demon that troubled them both fueled chaos and conflict.
3: We were both drinkers, and we were uh, a great drinking team, but in reality, we were the worst thing. We were the worst people for each other at at that moment in time. We had a lot of fun, but... The relationship was, the the foundation of the relationship was based in booze. And that's just what it was. It turned to love, but it was based in booze.
1: And as the love grew between the two, so did their mutual battle with addiction.
3: I think at at my high point, I was going through maybe three half gallons a week, something like that. She would drink two or three cases, I don't even know, two or three cases a, a week. Well, I mean, we we got along. She was as sweet as they come. Um, there there wasn't anything about her character that wasn't to, to really like. And for a drinker, the one the one criteria is the other person's got to be a drinker as well.
0: Meanwhile, as Jennifer began her first extended period of being sober in years, she kept in constant contact with her sister. Okay, so she
2: was. At the, at her, she was working at the Eastern Savings Bank and it was a job she hadn't had that long. She was waitressing for a while and
0: taking classes at Towson. Jennifer was worried that her sister wasn't getting
1: help. And her boyfriend too was concerned that their mutual love for alcohol was making life more difficult for both of them.
3: We reinforced one another. We, you know, she went into detox uh, twice that I remember. Um... We would sort of drink at one another. If she was getting dry, white-knuckling it, then I I refused to stop. Then I would stop for a few weeks, and she would refuse to stop. Um, After her last detox, she... um, There's alcoholism in my family. And uh, um, my mom got her involved with AA, and she really did try. She tried hard. But it just didn't stick. She wasn't ready.
0: Which is why the night before Jody died, and she stayed out all night, Steve decided he had enough.
3: Um, I, had a, I was in a night school course. I was in a grad school course. And on Thursday night, because it all really starts on Thursday night, um, I got home. Call at 8.30, 9 o'clock. And she wasn't home. I figured, okay, well, she went to an 8 o'clock meeting. She'll be home 9.30, 10 o'clock. And 10 o'clock turns to 10.30, and I knew at 10.30, quarter of 11, <clears throat> she wasn't at a meeting. Uh, about 11 o'clock, she called. I could hear the music in the background, and I knew exactly which, which, uh, which phone booth she was standing in. And I asked her, please come home. And she did, about 2.30. And um, I was hot went to bed, and our routine in the morning was I would get up, shower, shave, go off to work. When I left the bathroom, she would go and uh, shower and get dressed. Um, I did my routine, and instead of going to work, I stuck around when she came out of the shower. Um, I, in no uncertain terms, i let her know that she shouldn't be there that night. And she, my strong suggestion was to go down to Annapolis and stay with her parents. In my heart, I didn't think that was going to happen, but I didn't want her home that night. And um, so I got home from work, um, and she wasn't there, and I didn't think anything about it.
2: The Thursday night prior to that, she had been at the Mount Washington Tavern as well. And he's thinking she's at a meeting. And so Friday morning, he was said, You got to go to your parents this weekend, you know, just because she's going to the bars. And so she went to the bar, and then um, apparently she drove one of the employees home. And then she went and stopped by a packaging store, is that what they call it? A liquor store? Yeah, and got a six pack of beer. And went to the Caldor parking lot, which used to, which is now the Drum Drum Castle Center, Gover- government center.
1: The first of a series of events that bring us back to the parking lot and the night of her murder.
0: To the bizarre scene outside the giant parking lot that will be forever etched in the memories of those who loved her. All that coming up next on the Land of the Unsolved. The Land of the Unsolved is sponsored by Spot Crime, the number one crime mapping site in the country. Make sure to visit spotcrime.com to track crime in your neighborhood, because safety begins with knowing. When a loved one dies, sometimes all you have are the last words. Our last conversation.
1: Jody's sister Jennifer remembers hers.
0: It might have been,
2: I don't know if it was that Thursday or Friday, but I know I called her. I mean, I I specifically remember that Saturday morning when I found it was March 2nd. She actually died on my parents' wedding anniversary. She, um, I remember calling her and her not answering. It was a the Saturday morning and, and I remember getting a bad feeling, but nothing like I just was like, ah, oh, that's weird that she didn't answer the phone. And so
1: does her boyfriend, Steve. He recalls her final argument and leaving for work the next morning. So what was the last time you saw her? That morning. And so tell us about.
3: So you, last words weren't very kind. So, what were the last
1: words? Where the
3: last words were in a forceful manner to not come, not be there when I get home.
1: Do you regret
3: that? Well, that's, yeah, I carry a great deal of weight, Uh, you know, a great deal of guilt uh, about that. If if I had followed my routine and my thinking, um, that 2.30, quarter of three on March 2nd wouldn't have occurred. She'd have been home.
0: And then coming home on Friday evening to an empty apartment.
1: An absence that did not surprise him.
0: In fact, Steve thought Jody had gone to her parents' house in Annapolis.
3: Knock on the door about, a forceful knock on the door about about 7 o'clock. And the manner in which that knock occurred, um, it wasn't a neighbor. So I look outside and I saw a car and I think, well, that looks like the police. And... um, walked down, opened the doors. two detectives, and they said there had been an accident up on the Caldor lot and that Jody had, had, had died. Um, it wasn't maybe 15 minutes later, I said, what did she hit? I figured she'd had a drunk driving accident. What did she hit on the Caldor lot? Uh, a lamppost? Uh, lamp and uh, that's when they said, no, somebody shot her. I said, "Well, that's not an accident, then, correct? That's that's correct. A lot of things go through your mind at that point." Stunned, oh, absolutely stunned. You know, I don't think anybody's ever prepared for something like that.
1: Did she have any enemies,
3: or could you think none? None. No, she was as sweet. Like I said, they were, She was as sweet as they come.
0: Immediately, questions ran through Steve's mind. Why was Jody at a Baltimore parking lot at 3 a.m. in the morning? What was she doing? And who would want to kill her?
1: Which are just some of the questions raised by what happened and perhaps why Jody was murdered.
0: At the beginning of the series, we discussed how difficult it is to cope with the murder of a loved one.
1: And now even more vexing that becomes when the case remains unsolved.
0: Which is why the hours leading up to Jody's death are so mysterious.
1: As we said before, after an argument with her boyfriend Steve, she didn't come home Friday evening.
0: But instead of going home to her parents' house in Annapolis, unbeknownst to Steve, Jody went out.
1: Her destination, the Mount Washington Tavern, a popular hangout for young people in the area.
0: After the bar closed, Jody left with an employee who she gave a ride home.
2: That night was. Definitely out of character for her. She wouldn't have driven somebody home. She wouldn't have gone to sit in a dark parking lot and she would not talk to strangers. She wouldn't, I mean, everything she did um, was just
1: not her. But before she reached her final destination, Jody did something that seemed odd. She made a phone
0: call to the bar she had just left, the Mount Washington Tavern.
1: A move that is hard to explain and only deepens the mystery of what happened next.
0: After making the call, she stopped at a liquor store and purchased a six-pack of beer.
1: And then she finally arrived at the cold and desolate parking lot, waiting for something or someone alone.
0: We still don't know for sure why Jody, a young woman who was afraid of traveling alone, would park her car in that deserted lot.
2: So she was, she was sitting in that parking lot after, you know, dropping the employee off and going to the liquor store, um... And as I, like I said, her window was rolled down and, and witnesses saw a, a black male and a white BMW.
0: And there she would wait, the last moments of her life spent sitting in the cold alone. We still don't know for sure why Jody, a young woman who was afraid of traveling alone, would park her car in that deserted lot.
1: But that's exactly what she did. She parked her car and waited until someone... A mystery man shows up.
0: And shortly after 3 a.m., a mysterious man in a white BMW pulled in behind her. And as he did, Jody opened her window.
2: And it's like, like I said, her window was rolled down and, and witnesses saw a, a black male in a white BMW. Well, it was, apparently he was close up to the car from, shot her from behind. So it went in the back behind her, the door behind her. They call that the back passenger back behind her and then
0: into her seat. But somehow, someway, Jody fought back. She drove her car across the street and in front of the grocery store.
2: But she was able to drive for a few minutes across, I don't know, I think there's like six lanes there at York Road. I don't know how many lanes are there. She was able to drive across to the 24-hour giant. She drove over there. There's a Boston Market. I think that's still there, too. So she drove across there, apparently did like a big circle of the parking lot, and he stayed up at the top and watched her, and then she hit a curb, and that's when he slowly drove up to her.
0: The man, described as an African-American male, reached in and pulled something out of the car.
1: Then slowly, he went back to his vehicle and nonchalantly drove away.
2: But like I said, there, the, the giant, there was lights, there was a 24-hour giant, and then there was workers outside the Boston market, so there was people around. And, the, and then he reached and what witnesses all is he reached in over her and they think he put her car in park. So I don't know if she hit the curb and her car just stopped. But I, I believe that's when she died, you know, right there. Or, you know, as she, right in those last couple of minutes. Um, and took something out of her car and like under like under his arms or something. And then was just very slow about apparently just the way he moved and... Um, I think he was wearing like a camouflage army type jacket um, and just got back in his car and went on York Road and onto Walker Avenue. It was Walker Avenue.
0: And as he did, Le LeCourneau, a young woman full of promise and hope, took her last breath.
1: But that would not be the end of her story or her case.
0: Because soon the investigation into Jody's death took on a life of its own. And as the mystery of who killed her and why deepened, so did the gulf between the victim's family and the people who are sworn to find her killer. All that coming up on the next episode of The Land of the Unsolved. Thank you for joining us for The Land of the Unsolved, Episode 2, Who Killed Jody LeCourneau.
1: If you like our work, consider supporting this podcast by clicking on the support button on our Anchor.com podcast page.
0: Remember to visit the website for our sponsor, America's number one crime mapping company. Go to spotcrime.com, type in your address, and the Spot Crime Mapping Service will give you the latest info regarding crime in your neighborhood or anywhere else for that matter. The best part, it's free. So be sure to check out spotcrime.com, because safety begins with knowing.
1: The Land of the Unsolved was written and produced by Stephen Janis and Taya Graham for A-Spectrum Productions.
0: If you want to read more about unsolved murder in Baltimore and beyond, Stephen and I have written three books about the subject, all available through Amazon.com. Why Do We Kill? The Pathology of Murder in Baltimore. You Can't Stop Murder truths about policing in Baltimore and beyond, and the Book of Cop, a testament to policing that works.
1: And be sure to join us on our next episode of The Land of the Unsolved, where we delve deeper into the mysterious murder of Jody Le Cornu.
0: My name is Taya Graham.
1: And I'm Stephen Janis.
0: Thank you for joining us for The Land of the Unsolved.